Hello citizens, we're back for episode 5 of season 2. Today is about Canadian history, and you can file it under pillar 5 of our democratic model, the one called unity. These are my musings, and the context is things like the toppling of Sir John A. Macdonald's statue. Uh, this also follows the last episode on cancel culture. While my basic message is consistent, I think this will offer some new insights and a way forward. I won't be referring to news articles as in past episodes. I myself read broadly, uh, and I had some background in history, and so this will be my general non-expert answer to the question of whether our history will unite or divide us. History is not the story of what happened. There are several stories of our history. Let me roughly sketch each one. The old statues and symbols of our history are artifacts of what I'd call story one. That's the history we learned until it began changing in the last generation or two, uh, though arguably it remains strong and even dominant in our culture. It's a story of progress, of steady improvement. Um, Europe emerged from the dark ages of despotic rule and religious fundamentalism, feudal or mercantilist economy, and superstition. Its renaissance and enlightenment came as a result of reason, innovation, exploration, freedom, and equality. Capitalism and the Industrial Revolution, secularism and religious tolerance, the scientific revolution, individual rights, all dragged the world forward. Conquest and colonialism, despite um, their disruptive effects, also spread Western ideas for general betterment. Canada rose up from rough beginnings thanks to cooperation among founding peoples, harnessing its resources, military and political bravery, economic and technological innovation with railways and resource extraction. Great men of white European heritage are at the forefront and on statues. Problems created by colonization, patriarchy, economic disruption, and inequality are minimized. Canada has been a shining light with the Underground Railroad and multiculturalism, albeit with some less heroic moments. I think for all the shortcomings that this history offers, what it does offer and what the culture that is that goes along with it offer was some improvement over what came before, which was a culture and a history rooted in religion and superstition um, that, uh, you know, that was suspicious of things like the scientific revolution, dismissive of individual rights and attributes of, you know, that individuals could bring. Um, now, many of us now recognize the myth-making and propaganda quality of this history, though, you know, to varying various degrees. Some people still buy into a lot of it. 
I personally would not discard it entirely as a fabrication, but it's fair to call this the story by the winners. Uh, many other perspectives were ignored, and so it is also a divisive history. So in opposition to this, and from the perspective of the oppressed or less privileged, um, we get another history, which I'll call Story 2. They see Canada as a typical colonial settler story where Europeans stole and grabbed the land from its native people. They set up a hierarchy with rich white men at the top and racialized people of color at the bottom. They set up institutions to entrench their power, including police and the justice system, capitalism, even democracy to an extent. Uh, or they see the latter as just you know, for most of its history, pretty hypocritical. Um, it is only through the power of the people that some measure of power and wealth has been disseminated. So through, you know, the direct action of civil rights and protest, etc. <clears throat> and I could certainly go into more length of story too, but suffice to say that this history actually has more credibility um, in my mind than story one, but it is also limited by seeing things through its particular lens, and it too is quite divisive, unless, you know, of course, it might not be if we all bought into it and embraced that viewpoint. And yeah, I, I could certainly say more about it in in depth as because i think there is a lot that this history has to offer of this you know what may also be called uh, in a sense uh, the view from below um you know people's history uh you know there's a lot that certainly could be said to tell the the story of what has um of how canada came to be and and the the world as we know it came to be but I'm going to I, I'm going to move on and just uh, and say that in reaction to this revisionist postmodern history, which was story two, we can discern a story three, which harkens back to and continues on from story one. And so this is a reactionary conservative story that is nostalgic for a time when communities were strong, values were clear, you know, men were men, and until it was all spoiled by the liberals and the radical leftists and foreigners with their atheism, their moral openness, so-called science, etc. And in other words, this history tells of progress up to the modern period, but after that, it all sharply declines. Um, and that's the ugliest story, so I will quickly move to story four. And to me, this is the history for our time. European innovation and exploration of the world led to conquest and subjugation of colonized people. Capitalism and industrialization unleashed great wealth that lifted most boats, but increased inequality and did great harm in the process. 
none of these developments were wholly evil or wholly intentional, but they created problems that demand solutions. Part of our history is the gradual realization of the problems of a hierarchical, patriarchal, racialized, class-divided society. This growing consciousness since the 1960s is fighting a cultural battle with a privileged class. If we feel like being sympathetic, we might recognize that cultural change of this kind is always disruptive, and it strips away cherished religious beliefs and other worldviews, um, as well as challenging entitlements. Story 4 doesn't have many heroes nor many villains. It doesn't make for patriotic heritage moments. You know, yes, there would be some about the Underground Railroad, but there would be others about our own slave history. The answer to most questions would be, it's complicated. So to cement what I'm saying, a statue of Canada's first prime minister was put up by story one to celebrate a hero, taken down by story two as a villain, is the subject of Twitter rage by story three who see our whole culture at risk, and might have been handled differently under story four. The latter would likely have rewritten the plaque to include Sir John A.'s acts of cultural genocide and other crimes, uh, including and, and among his other impacts. And as for institutions like police and prisons, our legal, political, and economic system, a story four approach would neither defend them from the need for reform, nor wish to tear them down as entirely the corrupt products of an oppressed system, a sorry, oppressive system. I'm not sure there's time to go into great detail on these stories, especially story four, but I'll summarize some of its views on key topics. And really, these are my views or the views of those that I subscribe to. And there's always room for debate within any of these stories. History is like a painting, but it's neither paint by number nor abstract art. There's a picture that is open to interpretation, but it is held within a frame and a context that limits those interpretations. Now, I should say that I know that there are many other stories, including indigenous stories that I am not familiar with, and some would be histories, like I'm talking about, that may not fit into my four-story model. Anyway, I will tackle the toughest topic first. Was the conquest and colonization of the so-called New World a horrendous crime committed by white people on black indigenous and other people of color. Well, it became that, but it didn't start out that way. Europeans didn't start out with that intent, but having stumbled on these new lands and peoples, uh, they sought a way to survive as a tiny foreign group. They felt a Christian compulsion to convert them, learned that there were great riches realized that the riches could best be extracted with cheap labor, observed that they had superior military technology, and above all, felt the invisible hand of disease kill off a huge number of the indigenous people as if by divine judgment. 
Um, and altogether, that helped push them in the direction that history took. Um, and we can't forget the added factors of European competition and the weakness of governments over their colonists so that uh, to each, you know, each person in each state is thinking that if I don't exploit this place, then others will. And was this a crime particular to white people or was that an accident of history? Whites have no superiority, but certain historic factors led Europeans to have better technology, more disease immunity, and the desire to find uh, an even more advanced Indo-Chinese um, civilization. And let's not forget, to take slavery as just one example, that it existed everywhere throughout history, and the word slave comes from Slav, who were white people enslaved by Turks, that, you know, let's not forget, African chiefs and tribes played a role in the trade. Does that leave whites off the hook? This history doesn't answer that moral debate, but personally, I think we're absolutely still on the hook. But given the cruelties that people in India, China, Africa, South and North America had done to each other for millennia, we ought not assume that had the situation been reversed, they wouldn't have acted similarly. You know, we are all human after all. Okay, so what about capitalism? Is it the root of much evil? Capitalism and corporations were created to manage risky but possibly profitable enterprises like overseas exploration. People pooled their money, their capital, and shared the risk and the profit. Nothing inherently wrong with that, though it shook the rigid feudal system. Capitalism expanded to where more average people could buy shares in such enterprises. And wealth begat wealth, and discovery of new places and products begat more discoveries, and the globalization and colonization of the world in a way that particularly suited European capitalists and greatly harmed many racialized people. And this all coincided with inventions that led to industrialization, which needed capital to grow and grow, and which created great wealth, but also great disruption and class divisions. So once again, it's complicated. If humane, sensible people had planned all this, it would have been done in a more humane and sensible way. But the leaders fostered an ideology that the only humane and sensible way to govern this was not to touch it, to let it act um, according to its own invisible hand. Then they paradoxically asked for help to bail them out of the in inevitable problems that arose, the crashes, monopolies, and strikes. In the end, it has made everyone materially better off, and likely more, most are better off generally, but it could have been and could still be handled in a much better way. But the problems aren't easy to solve, and there are many of them from environmental devastation to a growing wealth gulf. But if we look at state-run socialist e economies, they don't do better. 
the best systems are mixed economies that find compromises without killing the golden goose. As often as not, the problems with Western culture and institutions like capitalism or our justice and immigration systems, science, democracy, etc., were created by departing from the principles that underpin them. When capitalism is practiced as socialism for the rich, when science became pseudoscience, when justice gets racialized, and when democracy rigged itself for the privileged class, that undermined them as much as any inherent defects. I don't think they are rotten at the root, so they are salvageable. I think I'll stop there. My view as a white man may have alienated some of you, but I wanted to confront the view from the far left and right that, I th that think that modernity and Western culture is a total bust, a disaster. It's not, but it's complicated. We are fortunate to live in a much richer, safer, and open world than ever before, but we face intractable problems uh, and looming disasters that we have ignored for too long. Our innovative culture should solve these, or could solve these, but we are too divided, too greedy, or scared, or short-sighted uh, at the present to unite in a bold reform program. A good start would be a shared sense of our past because it could help unite us for the path to the future. That's a wrap. I hope you will tune in again. Bye-bye.